Um, when Cindy and I left Detroit uh, after some 30 years, it was our, it was perplexing to us that the number one restaurant in Detroit that I learned one of my greatest lessons was a place that, that you'd never think would be the number one restaurant in Detroit. I mean, you, they have sections of the city for Greek food, sections for Middle Eastern food, sections for soul food, sections for Mexican food, but the number one restaurant was a restaurant called Fishbones, which was a Louisiana Cajun food. Have no idea why. But Detroit was going through a very difficult time and while they were going through that time, there was a lot of people on the streets, both homeless and just needing just financial help. And so you would see people just begging for money all over. And so one of the best places to stand is in front of a restaurant. And so I'll never forget exiting the restaurant, and there was a young man there named Joey who, was, who had me in his sights. I was walking out, and, and that week I must have gotten... Uh, hit with a number of people asking for money, and I'm not saying, I'm not, I, I couldn't remember what my response was, but I just, I just didn't want to give anything away. I was just, I was finished. It was one of those weeks, and as I walked out, even before he can get it out of his mouth, I said, I don't have any money to give, and he looked at me, and he just goes, I wasn't asking for money. I, I was going to ask if you could hug me, because it's been a hard week. I learned something that day. I remember something that I read not too long after, and it just said, simply said this, a simple line. It said, be kind, for everyone you meet is fighting a great battle. Everyone you meet is fighting. I, I've tried to take that into restaurants. I've tried to take it down 8th Avenue and through Central Park here in New York City, because you don't know what people are fighting. But what I did that day was I learned a lesson at a restaurant called Fishbones, to try to see people differently. L listen to this sentence, because it had, it had bearing on my soul. It just simply says this. Listen to the sentence. From now on, we have a new perspective that refuses to evaluate people merely by their outward appearance. That, that's, that's kind of the challenge for me. That was the fishbone lesson, is, is that, that phrase. But some of you, I took that from a paraphrase version, Maybe you would recognize, because those aren't my words. I didn't make that up. And that's not simply from any author. The author of that is the Apostle Paul. He said it this way. Maybe you get it this way. From therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh. That's what the Apostle Paul was saying. In fact, when you look at those words, the Apostle Paul was saying the context of this is even worse than what I faced with Joey. Because 25 years later, Paul was thinking in his mind, that, that's the, where I missed it. I missed it on Joey. This is Paul speaking about how he missed it on Jesus, that he didn't recognize him correctly. Listen to the whole verse. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh, even though we've known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him this way no longer. That we saw him wrongly is what the Apostle Paul said. Or when he says these words, look at those words on the screen. Verse 16, from now on. That is, those aren't a catchy song for Hugh Jackman and about a circus. These are the Apostle Paul's words that speak to this. What he was saying to us, Times Square Church, and the challenge for all of us was simply this. When you see Jesus incorrectly, you see the world wrongly. That's what he was saying. He said, if I didn't see him correctly, he says, Paul was saying from now on means, help me, God. If I could see you, then I could see better. I could see deeper. I could see further. I can see more correctly the way you see things. If I see Jesus, I see things through Jesus's eyes. And that's what he's asking us to do. Let's pray. Father, in these next few moments, may the Holy Spirit begin to give us the lens of Jesus. May we see with your eyes. May we not see according to the flesh, but may we see, like the Apostle Paul said, may we, from this point on, from this day on, may we say, we don't see this way. We have new lenses, new eyes today, in Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen? All right, let's get ready. I want to walk you through a few things today that God put on my heart. Right staying in this passage, 
Now, the Jewish judicial body that judged Jesus, that's a lot of J's. You should applaud because I used all, no, I'm just kidding. That's a lot. The Jewish judicial body that judged Jesus was called the Sanhedrin. They were the ones that sentenced him to the cross. Sometimes in your Bibles, you'll read the word council, but every single time it refers to the Sanhedrin. A question that most people ask that study the New Testament is this. Was the apostle Paul, that that wrote this, this passage, was the apostle Paul a member of the Sanhedrin? Because this takes on a whole new dimension, and it can go either way. Our thoughts are gonna give a little bit of context, and so you have to let me, for about the next three to four minutes, build something here with you, just some quick history. Paul, the apostle Paul, who before he was converted in Acts 9, was called Saul. So Paul was either a member of the 70 decision makers, the 70 seats, decision makers led by the high priest, or he was closely connected to the Sanhedrin. I think for these reasons, let me just give them to you quickly. One, his proximity to Stephen Stoning in Acts chapter seven. He was right there. Once the decision was made, he was right there. Whether he was an intern um, in our language or whether he was a member, he was right there with the coats of, the, of those that were stoning Stephen. Number two, he had access in Acts 9 to the letters of the high priest. He had access to the priest. He got letters from the priest to persecute Christians. You don't just get letters from the man who's in charge unless there is access. Number three, in Acts 26, the apostle Paul said, I cast my vote, which is the language of the Sanhedrin, I cast my vote against the Christians, against the church. You can read that in Acts 26, which gives implication that he was a member of the Sanhedrin. And finally, the other one is, he studied under Gamaliel in Acts 22, who definitely was, based on historians, a member of the Sanhedrin or that council. That being said, I believe that either Paul had proximity or literally had involvement, not only on the Sanhedrin, I believe, because this passage all of a sudden starts to get even broader to me, because I believe that he was there to some capacity at the trial of Jesus, at the trial that sentenced him to the cross, whether up close or from a distance. So the context of even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, what I saw before him, way before I had a, I had a visitation of a, of a bright light at noonday, Acts chapter 9, He said, I only knew Christ according to the flesh, but yet now I don't know him this way any longer, is what he was saying to them. In fact, the way Paul would have known him according to the flesh, you ready for this? Which is amazing. He would have simply judged Jesus or been part of, in in, in the arena of looking at Jesus as a curse. Because the book of Deuteronomy says that anybody that, that would be a curse should hang on a tree. We would call it a cross. They would say it would be hanging on a tree. The Apostle Paul even makes mention of this in Galatians 3. Listen to these. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, Deuteronomy 21, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. But you know what I love about this passage? You know what I love? Because Paul knew him according to the flesh as a curse, a blasphemer. That's the way they judged him according to the flesh, never seeing higher, deeper, better of who Jesus actually was. But isn't it amazing if Paul was involved with calling him a curse, hang him on a tree, 25 years later, when Paul is writing this passage of scripture, that the tree that Paul sentenced Jesus to die on would later become the tree that is the centerpiece of Paul's preaching. Remember this, 1 Corinthians 1.23, but we preach Christ crucified. When he says those words, what he is saying is, I now see him the right way. Because here's the Apostle Paul. If you want to know what he was involved with, here's the transcript. Just bear with me just for a few more minutes on this. Here's the transcript of the court proceedings of judging him according to the flesh. This is the transcript, Matthew 26, verse 63. And the high priest, who Paul would get the letters from, said to him, I adjure you, speaking to Jesus by the living God. Isn't that amazing? He says, I adjure you by the living God, and he's talking to God. Something's real off here. I think the high priest missed it. 
I adjure you by the living God that you tell us whether you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, you said it yourself. Nevertheless, I tell you that hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power, coming in the clouds of heaven. Then verse 65, the high priest tore his clothes and said he is blasphemed. What further need do we have to witness of, of witnesses? He says, behold, you have now heard blasphemy. What do you think? And they answered, listen to the crowd, he deserves death. 70 people, 70 men judging Jesus, the son of God, according to the flesh. He deserves death. I have this strange sense that when it says they answered, he deserves death, I have this strange thought that Paul, the Apostle Paul was in the they, that he may have been there, whether the decision maker or as a bystander, that that's the way that day, just as I missed it on a lower level with Joey, I think the Apostle Paul missed it on a higher level with Jesus. I miss, he missed the real Jesus who was standing before him. He missed because he knew him the wrong way. He didn't know who that was standing before him. I have had a number of young people come before me. I'm gonna give you a phrase that is now starting to rumble through the churches today. It is called deconstruction. It's the deconstructing of faith. It's people that are especially next gen, and that's why I'm so excited to see this video of, of, our, of our student ministry with Grant and Emily, and then Stan and Natasha um, with our young adults. They're coming together on that October night. That is gonna be something exciting as you watch those next gen people come on that night together. But that is, that is a group of people that are faced with this thing called deconstructing faith. And what they're doing is they're deconstructing the wrong thing. I've had young, I have had young men come to me and say, I am no longer a believer. They said, I'm very disappointed. I no longer believe in Jesus. And I want to tell you what I say to them because I want you to use that when you hear these words. This is what they would say to me. I no longer believe in Jesus. And I would say these words to them. Tell me the Jesus that you no longer believe in. I want, I want you to describe the one that you no, no longer believe in. And when I hear what they say, you know what my response is? I don't believe in that Jesus either. So you're doing the right thing because that's not the Jesus that I believe in and that you're talking about. Have people, when somebody is deconstructing their faith, ask them about the Jesus they're deconstructing. Because I say, because they say, I'm, I've been disappointed. He's let me down. I said, listen, he, that's impossible. Listen to these words because I'll always tell them this. Romans 10, 11 says, whoever believes in him will never be disappointed. So I told him this. This is what I say. You may go to church and they disappoint you. A pastor can disappoint you. I can disappoint you. A choir, a band, the Christians can disappoint you. But Jesus will never disappoint you. And that's why we have to make sure that we have the right Jesus. Listen, when you distort Jesus, everything else gets distorted. Let me say that again. When you distort Jesus, then everything else does. That's why I have to tell you, what you saw on the video up here with Joe and Mackenzie, those missionaries to Amman, Jordan, the greatest thing about the, that couple is that they are, they are ministering because they see Jesus they're ministering to people that really have nowhere to go. They're ministering to refugees and they're ministering to the gypsies right there because Joe and Mackenzie, missionaries that you support with your tithes and offerings every single Sunday, whether you're giving online or giving in person, you are supporting them and it's great joy. What I love is I just met them today. They're sitting here today. I want Joe and Mackenzie to stand to their feet and can we thank God for what they're doing? amongst all those refugees and gypsies, they are ministering to people that have no people group. They are their people group. Because Joe and Mackenzie see Jesus, they can begin to see the people that they love. That's what Paul was saying. What Paul was restating for them is, let me tell you who this Jesus is that I misjudged so badly. Listen to what he said right before that verse 16. He says this in 15. He said, he, he, Jesus, died for everybody. He goes, I missed that. So that they who live might no longer live for themselves, and I love this part, but for him who died and rose again. 
on their behalf. Hallelujah. And he said, because he died and rose again from now on. What he was saying was understanding who Jesus really is changes our viewpoint on everything and everyone. Whether it's a a beggar in front of a restaurant in Detroit or refugees and gypsies in Amman, if you see Jesus, you see people correctly. That's the way. Because we see through the eyes of Jesus. I read this this fictional story about a man who fell into a pit and he couldn't get out and a group of people walked by him. The first person who walked by him was Buddha and said, your pit is only a state of mind. Then a Hindu said, this pit is for purging you. Then Confucius walked by and said, if you just would have listened to me, you would never have fallen into this pit. A new age person walked by and said, maybe you should network with other pit faller inners. And then he said, a self-pitying person came by and said, you haven't seen anything yet until you've seen the pit that I've been in. He says, then a New York news reporter came by and said, can I have an exclusive on your story about the pit? Then Washington, D.C. IRS came by and said, have you paid taxes on your pits? A New York City County inspector says, do you have a permit for the pit that you fell into? A realist said, that's a pit. An idealist said, the world shouldn't have pits. An optimist said, things could be worse. And a pessimist said, things could, should, will get worse. But Jesus saw the man, took him by the hand, and lifted him out of the pit. While everybody else is looking at the pit, Jesus rescues people from that pit. That's why you can sing today. David said it like this, he brought me out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, set my feet upon a rock, established my steps. And when he did that, I was able to sing a new song. Praises to our God. Many will see it, fear the Lord, and trust in the Lord. I used to be in a pit, but now I sing for Jesus who has taken me out of those pits. Hallelujah. That's why those words from now on popped out of the passage to me to realize if I know who he is, then I can see people correctly. See, if I misjudge Jesus, then I misjudge people. I can't see people the way God does. I I want you to hear me clearly, Times Square Church. Those that are watching online, I, you can, I, I, it doesn't matter who gets offended at this. Now, now everybody's listening, but listen close. I believe with all my heart, abortion is wrong, sinful, unbiblical, but it can be forgiven. I want you to understand that. Don't, don't think it's the unpardonable. It can be forgiven. We support love life um, that fights this travesty. We have a connect group here that praise um, for all the women and love life and at the for downtown abortion clinic. But here's the part that, that why this means something, is why can't people with the evidence in front of them see the beating heart of a baby in a womb? Why can't they say, I'm gonna tell you why they can't. The reason why they can't see the beating heart of a child is because they can't see the heart of Jesus. When you can't see Jesus, you don't look and value people the way he does. It's a fetus and not a person. It's not a person in God's image, whether they are two weeks old or whether they're two years old. If God made them, they're in the image of God. Whether they're a beggar in front of a Detroit restaurant, a refugee and a gypsy in Amman, Jordan, or whether it's a precious little baby two weeks old in a mother's womb, they are made in God's image. And we don't see it, folks, when God is distorted. When you distort Jesus, then you distort people. Does that make sense? That's what we have to understand. So when you're going like, I'm showing them the evidence. Folks, it's not the documents you're showing. They have to see higher. They have to see Jesus. That's what we get wrong sometimes. The reason why people are so angry with the church of God and organized religion is because they don't see Jesus. Religion will always let you down. Folks, let me just help you. If it hasn't happened already, this church will let you down. 
Because we're, we're not perfect. Only he is perfect. Set your eyes upon him. That's what we're supposed to do. When the apostle Paul said from now on, that means I operate now under a new premise. I, 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 because I see Jesus, he says, then not only can I judge people right, but here's how he says I can judge them. He says the narrative of people's lives can change. It can change because of the resurrected Jesus. But Pastor Tim, how do you know? Because here's what he says. Listen, in verse 15, he says, I believe in the resurrected Jesus. He says in verse 17, so from now on, I don't look at people that way. Why? Because look at the next verse. Therefore, if I see him the way I'm supposed to, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. All things, hallelujah, have all passed away. How many could say, I've experienced that? Then all things can become new. That's what he was saying was. That word therefore that's in there is therefore a conclusive statement. Since Jesus being who he is, then people can't be seen in the same light. Because here's the big point. If we see Jesus correctly, then we see every person as a potential miracle. If we see Jesus the way we're supposed to, then every person we come in contact is a potential miracle. In fact, let's just finish today. Don't get happy. I'm not done. But let's just, I'll just use that just to make you think I'm done. But let me just say this. I want to just take two thoughts on those two things. I want us to see Jesus correctly and then to see every person as a potential miracle for the resurrected Jesus to touch. So here's the first one. From now on, I believe that in the unchanging Jesus, I believe that Jesus, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, is working today. I believe in the words of Charles Spurgeon, the 19th century preacher, who said it like this, the Jesus, the Jesus who is the same yesterday, and today, and forever, needs none of your inventions. He doesn't need your discoveries or your additions. Dress him up, and you've defamed him. Bring him out just as he is, and he is more than enough. We don't have to dress him up. We don't have to make him some, some, some Jesus, some Baptist Jesus or Republican or Democrat Jesus. He's not, let me just help you folks. He is the resurrected Jesus. He is not black or white. He's not Asian, Hispanic. He is a resurrected son of God that has come to set people free. That's the Jesus. Because if you create a Jesus, then you, if you distort him, then everything else gets distorted. That's what he was saying. He was telling us that. We have to see him correctly. That's the verse 15 Jesus. He says, this is the Jesus who died for everybody. Let me read it out of the Living Bible. He died for all, so that all who live, having received eternal life from him, might live no longer for themselves, to please themselves, but spend their lives pleasing Christ, who died and rose again for them. We live in a society that doesn't even understand who that Jesus is. In New Jersey, across the river here, there is a college, a state, a city college that was offering for the very first time a course called the Bible as Literature. It was just going to see, just look at the, the Word of God, but just treat it like a book. And so, but the interesting thing was, is that there was a pastor, a local Christian that was, that was teaching the course. And so not to trick anybody or any of the students, he just wanted to see how much does an average next-gen student actually know about the Bible? What do they actually? So he put together a simple test just to test general Bible knowledge. That's all he did. And here are some of the answers. What was Sodom and Gomorrah? Answer, they were lovers in the Bible, boyfriend and girlfriend. Who was Jezebel, Ahab's donkey? Name the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luther, and John. Who was Barnabas? Paul's wife. Fill in the blank. Jesus was baptized. Number one answer, Moses. And my favorite was this. What was Golgotha? It was the giant that slew the apostle David. So let me just tell you something. We're in trouble. Campus Crusade, Bill Bright's Christian organization, took that same questionnaire and decided to take those questions and add one more question to it. And the final question was this, that they would build an opportunity to share Jesus with. And it was this question, who is Jesus? 
Think of how crazy those answers were. Who is Jesus? Did you know what the number one answer, here it comes, number one answer across the country on college campuses, it is this, the son of God. The son of God. Not a great teacher, not a martyr, not a religious figure, but they answered the son of God, which tells me is that people know but have not acted upon that information. That's what's dangerous, is that people know what the answer is. You know what, the, the, you, I'm telling you, Pilate really had the question that all of humanity has to answer. Here was Pilate's question in the presence of Jesus. What shall I do with Jesus, which is called Christ? It really is the answer to all of humanity. It's, it's Pilate's words and it's Pilate's problem. What do I do with Jesus? If I know Jesus to be the son of God, what am I doing with that information? That's why I believe that the great question at judgment day will not simply deal with your sin. Hey, did you smoke or did you, did you drink? Did you get drunk? Did you kill anyone? But what did you do with Jesus who can deliver you from those things? That's why I believe at Judgment Day, it won't simply be a sin question, but it will be a son question on what, on, on, on what we did with Christ on that day. What did we do with you? What did you do with Jesus? If you know that this is the Jesus that died for everyone in this room, died for you that's watching online, watching around the world, what, we did with, what, would, what are we doing with him? I, I love what one person said. They said this, if you want Jesus, if you want to preach Jesus in the universities today, then teach him like this. This is awesome. He says, in chemistry, talk about turning water to wine. In biology, he came from a virgin birth. In physics, he blew away the law of gravity and ascended into heaven. In economics, he blew away all of the economics by turning two fish and five loaves into 5,000 meals. In medicine, he cured the sick without even a prescription. In history, he is the beginning and the end. In government, he is called wonderful, counselor, the prince of peace. In religion, he says, no one gets to God unless they come by me. He had no servants, and yet they called him master. He had no degree, and yet they called him teacher. He had no medicine, and yet they called him teacher. He had no army, but yet he conquered the world. And I'm going to tell you this, they buried him in a tomb, but he lives, he lives, he lives today. Hallelujah. That's the Jesus we serve. One of my favorite preachers, this is, the why, this is the reason why I love talking about Jesus. One of my favorite preachers, Dr. E.V. Hill from the 80s and the 90s, who's now with Jesus, preached the message some years ago about the name of Jesus from Acts chapter 4, when Peter was taken by the authorities and said, you are no longer according to the law, and I think this is not far from happening to us today. He says, you are no longer to speak this name of Jesus. They just, they just raised up a lame man who's been lame from his mother's birth at the gate beautiful and says, speak no more in this name. And Peter's famous words, Acts 4.20, we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard, speaking about Jesus. And then Dr. Evie Hill began to take those words and he said, Peter stood up and said, I have a condition that prohibits me from obeying your political orders. He says the condition is, the, is called the I can't help it condition. He says I couldn't stop if I wanted to. I couldn't stop despite your threats. He says based upon what we have seen and what we have experienced, the we can't help it is all over us. We watched him turn water to wine, scream into a tomb of Lazarus and say, come forth. He gave sight to the blind. Don't tell us to shut up. We got evidence and we can't help it but to talk about the name Jesus. He died for us. He resurrected for us. And hallelujah, he's alive right now. Hallelujah. If I get Jesus right, then I, will, then I will see people the way he does. What does that mean, Pastor Tim? From now on, 
when I see Jesus correctly, then I see every person as a potential miracle. Every person is a miracle waiting to happen. That was verse 17. Folks, this is what it says. Listen to it. He says this in verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, now we'll, we'll get to this in a second. He didn't say in church because you can be in church and not in Christ. We're, we're coming after you later. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away, hallelujah, and all things have become new. You know, our country lost this last week a fellow New Yorker that, that, that died recently from COVID complications, um, Secretary of State Colin Powell. Um, who was born in Harlem, raised in the Bronx, went to City College, and was, was just decorated with some amazing, amazing accolades in, in armed forces and with the United States government. And it was a great loss for this, for this country. I was reading his obituary and came across a phrase um, that was interesting to me. It's called premature obituaries. Premature obituaries. That what people will do sometimes is when someone is dying or close to death and they're famous, they will write their obituaries before they die. But the problem is some of them got better and saw their obituaries printed in the paper before because they thought he's going to be dying. So let's just go ahead and get the obit. And accidentally the premature obituary got printed. One of my favorite stories of a premature obituary came from a, a, a doctor in Sweden, and his name, his name from, the, from the premature was Albert, Albert Nobel. Albert Nobel was the inventor of dynamite. He was the creator of it. And they called him in his obituary that he read because he was sick and got better, that he was called the merchant of death, Dr. Death, they called him. And he saw this and got better. He said, I'm not ending my life that way. And it was him, this Swedish doctor, that ended up creating with a trust fund the Nobel Peace Prize. It was him that said, he says, I'm going to live my life to bring peace and not death to this planet. But here's what's amazing to me. Those premature obituaries. I kept thinking to myself, if we have a resurrected Jesus, if we serve a Jesus who is alive, that can change people, that literally can take the old things that passed away and all things have become new. Then can I just tell you, some of you are watching online, some of you are sitting here, some of you have already written out your premature obituaries over situations. You've written it over a marriage that says there's no way this is going to work. He is, he's, he, is, he, he is this and she is that and you, you may be sitting next to each other. And let me just tell you this, there's some that have looked at this over children and just simply said, there's no way, I can't do this anymore, I don't think it's going to happen. You've done it over people and friends and said, they have, they have done, done this for many years. And I'm telling you, if there is a rec resurrected Jesus, then you can't write any premature obituary because God can work miracles in people's lives. That's what he's able to do. That's why he has told us, rip those things up. See, that's when the Bible, when that verse starts off with therefore. Therefore means because you got Jesus right, you can believe for a miracle for anybody. For anybody. Listen, this is the reason why we believe when, when and it seems like it's coming to the very end. This is why every single Sunday we begin to share about the new life in Jesus, about being born again, because we believe it works. It changes people's lives. Don't ever get tired of it. Don't ever go, oh, here he goes with the born again ABC. I'm telling you, people are being changed. I, I walked in. I was thanking some of our volunteers at 915 this morning. Met two sisters today from the Bronx. They said, Pastor Tim, thank you. Listen to this. Premature obituary. Our mom has had some challenges and some, and some things that she has been faced with and that caused her liver cancer. And she was coming to the end of her life. These are her story. This is their story. They gave me the permission to say this. And they said this. They said, 
and we got her to watch church three weeks ago. Three weeks ago on a Sunday when you came down to those final seven minutes and told people how to have a new life in Jesus and how to be born again. We watched our mom that has gone through a rough path. We heard her for the very first time pray to be born again for the first time. She said that happened on a Sunday and on Tuesday, mom, they said with confidence, mom went to heaven that day. That literally a few days later. That's what changes. That's what makes this amazing. Think about this. This is what it says. Let's, let's break down the words. If anyone, verse 17, means no one is exempt. Whether you're in the Bronx or in Amman, Jordan, nobody's exempt. Anyone means anyone is in Christ. That's God's way. Not in church, not in religion, not in a religious family. In Christ. He says, old things have passed away, which means nothing is unforgivable with, with, with God. All things become new, which means the miracle includes everything. That's why I'm here to tell you that 2 Corinthians 5.17 is every Christian's biography. I don't care where you were raised, who you are, whether you live around the world, whether you're watching from Turkey or whether you're watching from Nigeria or you could be watching from good old Staten Island. It is the same biography. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Only God can do that. That's why the challenge to every Christian is verse 16 and the possibility for every person is verse 17. That's the way this happens. Because we, we don't know today. We don't know if this is somebody, if, if, if somebody is here that needs to be changed today or watching online or someone has sent this link. Let me, let me tell you, I, I haven't done it here yet. But when I was down south for, for some years, we would do four Sunday services every single Sunday. We would do 8, 9.30, 11.30, 5 o'clock straight. And then even in between that, we would do another um, it, was a, it was called growth track for some people. So literally every Sunday was, it was five services. And I would talk to our leaders and say the same thing every single Sunday. And this is what I would tell them. When, you, when we walk out there, here's the rule. No moods allowed. You can't have an attitude or a mood because if this is somebody's last service, we don't need you mad at somebody when somebody needs to hear the gospel. If you're trying to sing, can you imagine trying to sing every praise with a mood? God my Savior, God my healer, God my deliverer. I'm going like, she needs to be delivered. That's what I'm thinking. She needs deliverance. I said, here's the issue. We don't know if this is somebody's last service. We don't know if this is somebody's last time to be here. And you're going to have a mood. You're going to have an attitude. you got to fix that at the door. Repent. Forgive. Send a text. Just say, I forgive you. But don't get up there and sing and preach if there's something going on. This is eternity is too important. If people are expecting a miracle, I don't need a mood. I need a miracle to take place. I need God to work this out. Let's close with this as the band comes. Here, we're going to end. Here it is. For real, end. Because this is what I want God to do today. Here's what's, here's, here's what's amazing. How many, how many have ever heard this phrase before? You ready for this? Elvis has left the building. Okay. December 15th, 1956, Shreveport, Louisiana. Elvis was singing down there, and the people were so enraptured with him, they kept clapping for him to come back on stage. And three, four, what it means is, is that he kept clapping for an encore, an encore. And finally, he was exhausted. The guy got on the microphone and looked at every Louisiana person and said, Elvis has left the building. It means this, stop clapping. He's not coming back. Go home. That's what it means. Elvis has left the building is he's tired. He's not singing anymore. Stop asking. He's going home. 
Elvis has left the building. Can I, can I give you some good news today? God's into encores. God, God never gets tired. And if he saves a woman from the Bronx or saves a gypsy in Amman, Jordan, whether he's saving someone online right now in California, in Los Angeles, or down in Mexico City, let me just tell you something. Every single time he does it, he says, I can do an encore. I can do this all over again. And if he saves somebody, that's why in the first service, we saw 38 people respond to become born again in the very first service, in the first service here today. You know what God wants to do today? Look at me, folks. God wants to do an encore right now. He wants an encore. He says, I'm not tired. I'll never leave this place. You'll never have to worry. Is he tired? Is he finished with me? Mm-mm. He's ready to do it all over again because that's the kind of God that we serve today. That's why when you think about this, okay, keeping all of that in mind, here it is. You ready for this? The apostle Paul says this. Number one, he says, here it comes. He says, I believe in the resurrected Jesus. I believe in the resurrected Jesus. He said, number two, because he's resurrected, everyone is a potential miracle. And then there's this last thing that he says. And he says, because of all of that, because he is who he said he is, unchanging Jesus, everybody is a potential. God wants to work an encore in someone's life here in the balcony, on the main floor, watching online. Because that's true, Paul goes, not only do I have a responsibility, but all of you do. This is number three. And I'm just going to read this and a passage and we're done. It says, I'm God's ambassador. I'm God's voice. I'm pleading for the king for you to come back to him. That's what he says. That's verse 20. Listen to it. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. Folks, look up here for a second. God is speaking through these frail lips. There's a lot of spit coming out. If you can look past that and see the heart of God, that's your first miracle today. He says, God is making his appeal through me, through us, that we speak for Christ when we plead, beg, challenge Come back to God. Come back to God. Remember, when we ask people to come back to God, we're asking people to experience the relationship of being in Christ. Don't make a mistake. You can't be in heaven unless you're in Christ. Pastor Tim, what, what, what is that? It's a, it's a relationship that only Jesus himself has spoken about. No other religion can speak. There's no other religion. You know what's amazing? No other religion says to be in Buddha, in, in Hinduism, in Confucian. But you can be in Christ. That's the miracle of this relationship. How does that happen? Jesus calls it being born again. Those are Jesus' words. Those aren't ours. It's not a Times Square church word. It's not a word that we made up. It's not a Protestant word. It's not a Catholic, a Muslim. It is a Jesus word. And this is what Jesus said. Jesus, who cannot lie, said in John 3, 3, no man can see the kingdom of heaven unless they are born again. Those are Jesus' words. And today, you could be changed. That can happen to you. Pastor Tim, what does that mean to be born again? It's the most important question I can ever, you can ever be asked. Have you been born again? Most important question. What Jesus was saying, he was giving a picture. He says, just as you had a first birth, you need a second birth. Just as you know, based on your license, you have a birth date. I was born on this date. I know what my birth date is. But now the question is this. Do you have a second birth date? You were born physically the first time, but spiritually, the first time in a hospital, but the second time it's spiritual. It's God does something on the inside. What does that mean, Pastor Tim? Here it is. It's the most important thing I can say to you today. It is as simple as ABC. Pastor Tim explained that. Just as we would teach a young child the ABCs, let me teach you the ABCs. A, it's admitting, admit that we are sinners. 
that everyone in this place, starting with me, have a condition called sin. We can't fix it with a priest, a pastor, a promise. There's not a program in America that can fix a sin problem. They can try to deal with habits and they can try to deal with, with, with certain parts um, of, our, of our makeup, but it cannot fix a sin issue that's in there. I am broken inside. The diagnosis is sin. I am a sinner. Or as one person said it, we're not mistakers in need of correction. We're sinners in need of a savior. I don't need a second chance. I need a second birth. Pastor Tim, how does that happen? That's the B word, believe. Believe that God sent his son 2,000 years ago to die on a cross for me. That if we could fix ourselves to get to heaven, then why would God have sent his son to go through the pain and suffering that he did? If I was to ask you today, how do you get to heaven? Well, you have to be a good person. Well, it doesn't even make sense. Why would Jesus, say, why would Jesus die on the cross for you and for me and say, now try to do your best? That's not what he's saying. We can't do that. We need God in our lives. When Jesus died for you and for me, he was dying. He was becoming our sin bearer because we couldn't pay the price. He died the death we were supposed to die. He lived the life we couldn't live and I couldn't live. And he gave a reward that I didn't deserve called forgiveness in heaven. Jesus did that for me. And finally, see, confessing him as Lord, which is the, which is the big one. Romans 10, 9 and 10 speaks about this word. Paul, Paul who wrote that phrase in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, about not knowing Christ after the flesh, but knowing he is the, born, he's the, he's the one that was born, died, and raised from the dead for us, says that's the Jesus that we confess as Lord. That word means boss. You're in charge now. You're not just in charge for 90 minutes on Sunday. You don't get Sundays. Jesus didn't die on the cross because he wanted your weekends and to ruin your weekends. Jesus died on the cross because he wanted every day of our lives. Christianity, listen, Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. It doesn't happen in a building, it happens in the hearts. It's when God comes in and changes us from the inside out. So if you think, if you think Jesus came to wreck up your weekend because he wants 90 minutes on Sunday, then you are thinking religiously. He wants a relationship with you today. When you call him Lord, you are saying, you're in charge of every part of my life and I'm giving you access. You take over, God. Folks, he rightly deserves it anyway. He died for us. And today you can be changed. How, Pastor Tim? I want you to bow your head, close your eyes right now, all over this place. If you're watching from home, I want you to listen. Watching from around the world, whether it's around even New York City, around the United States, or around the world, it's the most important thing, moment for you right now. Because today, your life can be changed. You could be born again today. And some of you are looking at me going like, Pastor Tim, this is gonna be tough because I've got a lot of problems. I've got a lot of junk that's going on. Let me just remind you, you don't get good and come to Jesus. You come to Jesus and he makes you good. If you're sitting here today, maybe somebody invited you, maybe you're listening as you're, as you're on, a, on a podcast that someone sent you the link and you're listening on a Monday or a Tuesday. You're listening because a friend sent you a podcast on the, uh, that of who Jesus is and that he'll never disappoint you. I'm telling you today, you could be born again. You could be changed right now in an instant. The journey can start right now. Where you're sitting in this sanctuary has been prayed over. There's been two or three days this entire week, every seat has been prayed over. You're sitting in a prayed over seat. That's why you're feeling something right now. And if you're sitting in that spot right now, wherever you're sitting here, today, you could be born again. Pastor Tim, what do you want me to do? I'm gonna pray a prayer right now. In fact, we're all gonna pray it together, but if you're here today, because of COVID protocols, we wanna always be careful, but if you're here today, we're not gonna make you stand. I won't even call you to come forward, but I will ask you to do this. If you're here today and say, Pastor Tim, when you pray that born again prayer, I wanna start a journey with God. I wanna be born again today. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here today and say, Pastor Tim, when you pray that, Would you put me in that prayer? I want to start that journey with God. I want to start with those other 38 that were in-house and let alone all those that that responded online. But if you're here today and say, Pastor Tim, when you pray that prayer, I want to be born again. With every head bowed and every eye closed. If that's you, because I want to make sure I see everyone, I'm going to ask you to do one thing for me. Without any hesitation, if you say, put me in that prayer, hold your hand up as high as you can. 
Hold it up as high as you can because I want to make sure I see every hand that's up and I'm going to go through this place and count. Keep them up right now because I want to go through and see it. There's one, there's two, there's three, four, five. Got you over there. Six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. Keep them up. 16, 17, 18. Keep them up. I want to make sure I see every person for those 18. I got you in the back. 19. That's fantastic. 20. Thank God for you. Thank God. You could put your hands down right now. You know what the joy is? For those 20 hands that went up today, you join. You ready for this? That means almost 60 people gave their heart to Jesus in this building for the very first time, which, which gladdens my heart. Come on. I want you to, you're watching online. You're in this building. Come on. Say this with me as loud as you can. Say, dear Jesus, I believe you're the son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my sin, my shame, and my guilt, and you died for it. You faced hell for me, so I wouldn't have to go. You rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to be born again. Come on, say it with me now. God is my Father. Jesus is my Savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper. And heaven is my home. In Jesus' name. Come on, amen and amen. Would you stand with me and put your hands together and thank God for what he has done today? Listen, those that are here today, I'm so excited for a brand new journey. Those that are already born again, I'm gonna ask you to sing louder than you have ever sung before. But if you made that decision online or in this place, I want you to, I want, you're gonna see it on the screen. I want you to text the word CONNECT to 51,000. We're gonna help you on next steps on your journey. 51,000, just text the word, pull your phone out right now. And then when Freddie leads us in a song right now and we end, we know also that not only did you pray a born-again prayer, but there's some people that just need some answers to prayer, that you're facing some difficulties. We're going to have, with some protocol, people up here that we're going to pray over you individually. Those who are watching online, man, we're not leaving you out either. We have online hosts that are going to be praying for you. Up here, they'll pray with their mouth. Online, they'll pray with their fingers. And they're going to type in a prayer and pray for you right online. And we believe God is able to work miracles. How many believe that we're going to see a victory in all these people's lives? Come on, put your hands together. Let's sing this in close. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you've enjoyed this message. And be sure to subscribe so you can receive new messages each week. Visit tsc.nyc for all the latest info on how you can stay connected. Also, don't forget that you can follow us on social media on all major platforms at Times Square Church. Thanks for tuning in today. Have a great week.